Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. About to jump in, full preview, Washington Commanders, Philadelphia Eagles, Week 3 at FedEx Field. Before we get into today's episode, as always, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline, who continue to be the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, college football, and the upcoming seasons of NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, prop bets, and futures bets. So head on over to Bet Online today or use your mobile device. Make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50. It's B L E A V 50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, let's get into today's episode. Full preview of the Philadelphia Eagles, the 2-0 Philadelphia Eagles heading into their first divisional matchup, just like the Washington Commanders are as we sit here at 1-1. Week 1 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars, week 2 loss at the Detroit Lions. This is an Eagles team right now, and we're just going to a quick preview of them overall from a 10,000-foot view. 2-0 team headlined by Jalen Hurts and obviously the offseason acquisition of A.J. Brown. First-round addition... Jordan Davis along the interior defensive line, big boy out of Georgia. They added James Bradbury in the secondary as an an individual to pair opposite of Darius Slay, who's had an outstanding start to his 2022 campaign. Philadelphia Eagles, I'll say it right now, are... You ask anybody else in this industry, you're going to hear they're the favorite for the NFC East. They're one of the main NFC contenders potentially for the Super Bowl. However... I do want to kind of bring the hold the reins, pull them just a little bit on the Philadelphia Eagles and their ceiling as a team. You look in week one, they're blowing out the Detroit Lions. They almost allowed them back in that ball game. You look at week two on Monday Night Football, if you just scout the box score, you believe that the Philadelphia Eagles absolutely dominated Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. That's not what happened. There are multiple times in Monday Night's game where the Vikings could have been back in that ball game, whether it's Kirk Cousins missing Jefferson Jefferson over the middle of the field three or four times. Was it Irv Smith? Dropped touchdown on the boundary, wide open, right through his fingertips. Or corner on a blocked field goal getting caught by the punter for the Philadelphia Eagles. That that can't happen. Those are three to four touchdowns right there that puts the Vikings back in that ballgame, potentially up in that ballgame. The Eagles have by no means been the Buffalo Bills through two weeks of the season to where they've been absolutely dominant in all facets of the game on offense, defense, and special teams. Now, am I going to sit here and say that they're not a good football team? Absolutely not. I think they're a very good football team, very well-rounded on offense and defense, and we're going to run into, we're going to go into each positional group, just like I did with Jacksonville, just like I did with Detroit, and give you guys a full in-depth preview of where I believe Washington will win this game, where I think they could ultimately lose this game, and I'll give you guys a prediction for Sunday and what is a huge game for Washington, Ron Rivera, as they move forward into these next two games when they host the Eagles, and then in week four, make the trip down to visit the Dak Prescott-less, now Cooper Rush-led Dallas Cowboys. So let's get into the Philadelphia Eagles position groups. 
As always, we will start on the offensive side of the ball and the most important position in sports, and that's at the quarterback position with dual threat talent Jalen Hurts, who's been one of the most impressive quarterbacks in the NFL. He's currently third in MVP odds at any sports book that you look at. If you check over our friends at Ben Online, he's top five in potentially leading the MVP voting. This is someone that's played his butt off early in this season. He's someone that can create, obviously, with his legs. He's a powerful runner. He's obviously a thrower first of the football, but if he needs to run, he is a dynamic athlete with his legs. He has no problem putting in the end zone. He ran for multiple touchdowns against the Vikings. Now he has guys on the outside and Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, Zach Pascal, Quez Watkins, Dallas Goddard to throw the football to. His progression as a passer is what's going to elevate not just him as a player in a season where it really is an ultimatum considering the draft capital that the Eagles have next year in the 2023 NFL Draft. Jalen Hurts has been excellent through two weeks and his progression has been outstanding. Whether it's just hitting his hot guys five to seven yards downfield or hitting guys like Quez Watkins like he had against the Vikings 50 yards downfield on the bomb because he has guys that can run. He has the arm to fit it down 50, 60 yards down the field. He has that ability to do so. So for Washington's defense, every single level has to stay honest, both with respecting his arm and his ability with his legs to create outside of structure and when they want to give him some designed touches on some designed quarterback runs. So Jalen Hurts has been outstanding within these first two weeks. This is a huge year, not just for his potential career in Philadelphia as the guy to where GM Howie Roseman and head coach Nick Sirianni want to give him the keys moving forward to this offense. It's really a position where if he has to go somewhere else, is he a starter somewhere else? Is he a backup somewhere else? Jalen Hurts is a starter in this league, and two weeks in, he's improved once again. Again, he's got his weapons on the outside that we'll move into next, but he's looked excellent, and it's going to be on Washington to try to limit. You're not going to stop his ability to throw it down the field or stop his ability to create with his legs outside the tackles, inside the tackles, when he wants to run some of those QB powers that they like to run on the backside of Dallas Goddard. They bring Jack Stoll in the game as a big power blocker at the tight end position. They want to run some 12 personnel. They have a big offensive line, which we'll get to. But trying to limit Jalen Hurts as much as you can with his vast skill set is going to be paramount for this Washington defense. So from there, then go to running backs. Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott. This is their running backs unit. Now, it's not going to blow anybody out of the water, but Miles Sanders has been a guy over the last few years. You ask Eagles fans, you ask Eagles representatives in the media, and there's someone that really the Eagles have become tired with as far as someone that's not able to stay healthy. Obviously, they, they spent a second-round pick on him in 2019, someone out of Penn State that could be dynamic in all facets, a guy out of the backfield that has decent hands, hasn't been able to stay healthy in his first few seasons in the league. And now, through the first two weeks, he's been someone that's been heavily featured in their offensive game plan. Kenneth Gainwell is a guy from Memphis. There's three Memphis backs in the NFC East. It's Antonio Gibson, Tony Pollard down in Dallas, and now Gainwell with the Eagles, kind of that weapon X. He's been really uninvolved in these first few weeks, but really what's the ceiling for a guy like Gainwell? When you, If you have Miles Sanders running, they obviously like Boston Scott, kind of that small statured back. You guys remember back to the days of Darren Sproles and how dynamic he was in that Philadelphia offense, even when Carson Wentz was there back in 2017 in that Super Bowl run. Just how dynamic uh, Boston Scott could be for that offense. And really, Kenny Gainwell, he's he's there. I mean, they, they spent a fifth rounder on him. I mean, that's not a, 
a day one or, or a day two pick on the guy, but he's someone, if Miles Sanders were to go down again or Boston Scott, you know, he needs a breather on the sideline. Kenny Gainwell is someone just like Gibson that is a weapon to keep an eye out for in this game because I'm not sure if he's going to give it 10, 15 rush attempts. I'm not sure he's going to get three to four targets in the passing game. I don't know if that workload is there for him yet, but I know that that's someone that Philadelphia likes within their offense. And over time, as he begins to get more comfortable with the new faces around him and the new type of offensive variety and how expansive their playbook is under offensive coordinator Shane Steichen that continues to expand, that Kenneth Gainwell could get some more snaps moving forward. But it's a group headline by Sanders and Scott. And if Sanders isn't going, then you're forcing Jalen Hurts to run and you're forcing him to throw it down the field, which is where Washington could find their most success. And this is where I want to talk a little bit about Washington's interior. Do I wish we sat here and had Fedarian Mathis as a guy that can come in rotationally or even add some beef if you want to run Allen, Payne, and Mathis in the middle in this type of ball game? Absolutely. Philadelphia has been one of the better rushing units in football over the last few years since they drafted Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma just a few years ago. They want to pound the rock. They have big boys up front from left tackle to right tackle. Jordan Mailata, Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, Isaac Suamalu, and Lane Johnson at right tackle has been a staple of their offensive line and an all-pro on that right side, protecting Jalen Hurts' arm side. Jason Kelsey's a center. He's going to be probably, probably I'm going to say probably, retired after this year. We've been saying it for, for two to three years now. But they have a backup in Cam Jurgens out of Nebraska that Right now, if I was Washington, I wish I had him. Considering what happened to Chase Roulier, now you're moving forward with Nick Martin at center. Um, the Eagles are deep up front. Jordan Mailata is one of the most athletic freaks in the entire league. Former rugby star down in Australia. 6'8", over 340 pounds. Can move like he's a wide receiver. It's scary to watch him in space. Limiting their impact and their ability to push within the front five is going to be massive for guys in the interior like Allen and Payne and guys moving in rotationally like Daniel Wise. Guys have to have beef on the interior and be able to push and holster against the run game because if Philadelphia gets the run game going and Miles Sanders has 40, 50 yards as we move into the later parts of that first quarter or into the early second quarter, everything's going to start to churn. They're going to open play action. It's going to open some shots downfield. Some of the burners that they have in Devonta Smith or Quez Watkins it's going to open up the intermediate areas of the offense, allow A.J. Brown to create after the catch, allow Dallas Goddard to create over guys like Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis. It's going to be trouble if Philadelphia gets the run game going. So right now it's holster against the run, make Jalen Hurts beat you with his arm. I think that's where the game could be won for Washington within the interior. And as much as you can, it's almost like facing a guy like Kyler Murray, like facing Lamar Jackson. You have to limit him in between the tackles. Right, you're not going to force him outside of structure and allow him to play sandlot ball. He's drawing plays up on the dirt. That's when Jalen Hurts is at his best because he has the threat to deliver it downfield on the run. And then he can create with his legs 15, 20 yards downfield. And he obviously has that power as a guy with a very physical, strong frame as a quarterback. So offensive line again from left to right is guys' names that you're going to be hearing again. It's Mylotta Dickerson, Kelsey Samalu and Lane Johnson. So from there, let's go to their weapons out wide. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm scared. Um, I'm not going to say scared. I'm nervous about Washington's ability to stop these weapons on Sunday. Um, I'm not sure if there's a unit in football that could completely really shut down this unit when you're asking going man and one-on-one. 
But after we saw these first two weeks with Christian Kirk tearing up Washington's secondary, Amonra St. Brown was an issue all day long. Guys like A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, who broke Deshaun Jackson's rookie single-season receiving record last year in Philadelphia. And you got guys like Quez Watkins who can burn with the best of them in the NFL. You got Zach Pascal. They brought over from Indianapolis as a guy that Nick Sirianni had a relationship with when he was with the Colts. They have a lot of guys that do a lot of things. And A.J. Brown has been a staple, staple, staple of their offense early on. He has been everything for this offense. He is a target hog. Expect him to get another 10-plus targets against Washington. I don't know if Washington's going to ask anybody to travel. I wouldn't. Um, I'm extremely interested to see what Jack Del Rio does defensively on the outside. They try to be physical at the line of scrimmage. Do they play man? I know they like to run a lot of zone. I just don't know right now what to expect from Washington's secondary against these wide receivers because right now it may be ugly. Just flat out, it may be ugly. Washington has not proven to me yet to be able to cover anybody or limit anybody. Christian Kirk went over over 100 yards. Monterey St. Brown went over 100 yards. Going to have many more. Two touchdowns. I don't know if it's Kendall Fuller, William Jackson, or Benjamin St. Juice. I've been asking for a while for Del Rio to move Kendall Fuller back to the slot and have Benjamin St. Juice work on the outside. Now Quez Watkins is in the slot. You got A.J. Brown on the left side, Devonta Smith on the right side. They like to flex A.J. Brown inside of the slot. They like to move Dallas Goddard out wide. It's a tight end that I'm sure you guys are familiar with as someone that's been extremely impressive and productive for that Philadelphia offense since he entered the league a few years ago. This is a Philadelphia offense that is very well-rounded. It can probably score with anybody in football when they have all their cogs turning together. Brown, Watkins, Smith. I know Washington's going to bolster on that back end, preparing for guys like A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, but you got Quez Watkins who can run a 4-2. You got Zach Pascal who can work over the intermediate areas of the offense and, and catch seven, eight balls and for a touchdown or two, potentially before you know it. A lot of talent in that Philadelphia wide receivers room. This is going to be a huge test for Washington's back seven that has not been good early on this fall. So from there, let's hop over to the defensive side of the football. Defensive ends, defensive tackles, and the outside other defensive end. Josh Sweat, Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Brandon Graham are their slated starters this week. Got backups. First-round pick, Jordan Davis, as I mentioned, big, physical, one of the most... My lot is a physical freak at tackle. Jordan Davis is as physical freak as you'll find anybody in the NFL. He's the size of a, a small condo. He is humongous. He can wreck a game. And biggest thing for me is the loss of Chase Roulier at center. Facing the interior depth that Philadelphia has in their defensive line, it's not just Fletcher Cox and guys like Javon Hargrave. It is Milton Williams, who they drafted from Louisiana Tech a few years ago. It's Marlon Tuipolotu, who they drafted from USC. It's guys like Taron Jackson, who they drafted from Coastal Carolina, that plays a little bit of three-tech and five-tech. It's even someone like Kyron Johnson, they drafted out of Kansas, that I saw at the Senior Bowl. He's now on, he's on special teams, playing gunner, making, making plays. They have an unlimited, unlimited resources at the defensive end spot to get after the quarterback. And then you look on the opposite side, and it's Hassan Reddick. They just brought him over from Carolina, paid him a ton of money. He's a top 10 pass rusher in the NFL, and if you ask around, 
Some people would say he was even a top five rusher from a pure skill set standpoint, but he was kind of hidden in that Carolina defense as a substandard unit when he was working opposite of Brian Burns in Carolina. Hassan Reddick can be dominant. He can wreck a game as well. So there's a ton to prepare for on the defensive line, and I'm not sure what to expect from Nick Martin as I talked about it a ton, the importance of Chase Roulier even moving back. Talking about last season when he went out and Wes Schweitzer played some center, Chase Roulier allows the quarterbacks to keep their eyes up on the second and third level of the defense and making blitz calls. So Carson Wentz specifically in his first two games, you saw how successful he's been having Chase Roulier at center and in a new offense. Roulier allowed Wentz to be able to keep his eyes up, not focus on who's coming off the edge, what linebackers are potentially blitzing. That was on Roulier, making calls to his left and Andrew Norwell and making calls to his right, whether it's Wes Schweitzer or Trey Turner. Now with Nick Martin, a brand new center in the building, brand new quarterback under center, brand new offense, there's going to be some, some, some speed bumps here that you're going to have to expect, especially facing a defensive line like this. And you know defensive coordinator for the Eagles, Jonathan Gannon, runs a lot of that cover three, but he allows the guys to get active, get aggressive, get after the quarterback. That's what they want to do. That's their MO on defense. All these guys eat within the interior. All the names I mentioned, they look to eat within the interior. Now, are their linebackers going to blow anybody out of the water? It's TJ Edwards. It's a little bit of Sean Bradley, Kaiser White. Patrick Johnson is another guy they drafted out of Tulane in 2021. They drafted N'Kobe Dean, but he didn't even play any snaps in week two against the Vikings. So I'm interested to see if he gets any snaps against Washington. He should. He's a dynamic playmaker at that second level. Feeds off of that big interior just like he did when he was at Georgia working behind Jordan Davis. They have that relationship, that chemistry, that rapport already. The linebackers don't blow anybody out of the water. And this is what I want to target as where Washington can win the football game. I just talked about the defensive line with Payne and Allen and clogging up that interior and not allowing Philadelphia to get the run game going. Logan Thomas, John Bates, Cole Turner, Armani Rogers. All four are not going to be active on game day. But whoever is active and whoever is playing, most likely right now, looks to be Thomas and Bates as your two guys. Targeting these linebackers in coverage. I think TJ Edwards is more underrated linebacker in this league. He's someone that was re-upped by Philadelphia last year to come back. Um, and But you have a guy like Logan Thomas, 6'7", 6'8", big body, athletic, working over the 10 to 15-yard range of this offense. He has to get going early. I like the guys on the outside that we have. You guys know that. McLaurin, Dotson, Samuel, insert name here as far as weapons that Washington has on the outside. I like them against any corners in this league. Right? They have James Bradbury. They have Darius Slay. Avante Maddox is over the slot. The linebacker has been a spot where they've been weak over the last few years. They had Alex Singleton roaming that middle of the defense last year. He's now in Denver. Make this unit work. You have to make them work. If that defensive line is able to get in and pressure Carson Wentz, the outside guys in Slay and Bradbury and Maddox are able to be physical at the line of scrimmage and Carson doesn't have two, two and a half seconds, three seconds to look downfield and go through his progressions, it's going to be a long day. And I know right now this kind of seems like the overall vibe of the pod to where I'm, I'm skeptical for this weekend. I just, I, I, for coming off of last week, it was, it was a letdown week. 
I did I expect the Lions to roll over and play dead heading into week two? No. I talked to you guys about how how the Lions play hard. They have talent on both sides of the ball. Um, but Washington right now could very easily be 0-2 if we, look, we look back and think about it. But I think Washington's going to play better this week. I do. I, I think they're going to be bulked up for a big division game. Like I said, two division games back-to-back with Philadelphia and Dallas. They're gonna, I think they're going to play well. However, is it going to be enough? We will see. I think the offense is going to score points. If the defense is able to limit Philadelphia from getting going early, you know, they held Jacksonville to three points in the first half in week one, but they allowed 22 in the first half to Detroit in week two. Kind of finding that medium, finding that equilibrium, bend but don't break defense, force Jake Elliott to kick three or four field goals, that's fine. I think Washington's offense will score points. I'm really interested to see how just how and uh, how quickly Nick Martin at center comes along in the interior. That run game has to get going. Antonio Gibson has to get his legs churning. He has to. Nothing else can open on the outside and if Philadelphia is able to drop seven. That's not going to work. It's not going to work. But we'll wrap up here with Philadelphia previewing their secondary. It's like I mentioned, James Bradbury, they bought over from the New York Giants. Right corner, Darius Slay, they traded from, from Detroit just a few years ago. Avante Maddox is over the nickel. Uh, a little overrated guy in, in my book. Uh, makes a couple plays here and there, but he's someone that I think Washington could take advantage of in this ball game. He's been there a while. Um, at safety, it's Marcus Epps, and then they traded for C.J. Gardner-Johnson from New Orleans, who's really been a staple for the back end here early in two weeks. Someone that talks trash, um, lets you know about it, but not only he just he walks the walk, or excuse me, he talks the talk, but he walks the walk as well. Um, he's someone that can see everything, obviously, uh, play in that strong safety spot. They have guys that they like rotationally that can come in and even uh, sub-packages as far as guy Reed Blankenship is a college free agent that they brought in from Middle Tennessee State. And Kayvon Wallace was a draft pick in 2020, fourth rounder. So does their secondary scare me? No. I like the bodies that Washington has on the outside. I do. I think this is a spot where it's really pick your poison for Philadelphia's defense. You want to bracket TJ, uh, Terry McLaurin? All right. You got Jahan Dotson. You want to bolster against those two and then potentially bracket either side? It's fine. And you can have Curtis Samuel as your weapon X and working over the intermediate areas of the offense, getting the ball in his hands quickly. Obviously, he's been someone that has been featured heavily in the game plan these first two weeks. I don't expect that to change working in to week three as someone that allows Carson Wentz to get in a rhythm early. Same thing with Logan Thomas. Same thing with John Bates. Guys that can run five to six yard routes, catch it in rhythm, and move forward down the field. Yards after catch will be big this week, outrunning linebackers, outrunning some of these corners. Philadelphia doesn't have any, any corners that I don't think could run with Terry and Jahan, and especially Terry. Terry can run by any corner in this league. Maybe not Eric Stokes in Green Bay, who runs a 4-2. Um, but from a physicality standpoint, also at the catch point, how dynamic he is and able to shield off defenders down the field. I like Terry McLaurin in this matchup. You look back to remember in 2018, right? Terry McLaurin's first game in Washington in the Burgundy and Gold lit up that Philadelphia secondary when Case Keenan was at quarterback. Why not do that again this week? Feed Terry McLaurin early. Talked about it, recapping the Detroit game, following the Jacksonville game. There's no reason not to get Terry McLaurin involved in that first half. 
This has been two weeks now where he hasn't gotten involved until the second half. That can't happen. Scott Turner, I'm sure, understands that teams are going to take away number 17. See what you have outside of him. That's the game plan for a lot of defenses in this league, but you have to get him going. Force feed him the ball to get him going. If he's not working on a deep post, 15, 20 yards down the field, he's not able to get open because they are bracketing him, then run some bubble screens, run some smoke screens. We saw it against Detroit. He almost took one to the house if it wasn't for Jeff Okuda tripping up his ankles from the back. Get 17 the ball early. So from there, wrap up this podcast, this episode, prediction. I always, I'm going to try to stay positive. Always. I'm staying positive. I'm going to go 24-21 commanders in this ballgame. I think the game is one. Tight ends versus linebackers. D tackles versus interior D line. Jerron Payne, John Allen against Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, and Isaac Sayamalu. This is where Washington has to be excellent. All the names on the outside headline this Philadelphia team. I get it. But if Washington is able to push the pocket, Montez Sweat's a big guy in this game to get after. He's going to be facing Johnson and Mylotta on the outside. He has got to be better. But make it as easy as possible on Washington's corners to not have to cover for four to five seconds. Whether it's on play action, whether it's hurts outside of structure, limit that as much as possible. And I think Washington will be fine in this ballgame because it is at home. First NFC East matchup of the game. This is a game that Washington wins that it'll bring the expectations down for Philadelphia and bring the ceiling up for this Washington unit as a team that will compete in the NFC East this year and someone that, yeah, sure, it's, it's still early in the year, but this is a massive matchup. Every divisional game is important. You have to win your divisional matchups, especially when you're at home. Now, has FedEx Field been a spot where you would say it's a home field advantage over the years? Absolutely not. There's going to be a lot of green I'm expecting in the stands again at FedEx Field this weekend. But for the Burgundy Gold, if, if some of you guys are going and showing up, be loud. You know, Let them know that you're there. The home field advantage has not been there for us seemingly for decades, really since Joe Gibbs left. Except for the few runs with the, you know, the 2012 divisional title with RG3 and Alfred Morris running wild in the league, FedEx Field hasn't been a home field advantage. Maybe something the tide turns this year with Jahan Dotson in the building and Carson Wentz in the building, an offense that scores points, and we'll be able to do so again this week and moving forward. Again, this is week three. It's not a do-or-die game, but every divisional matchup is so important. It'll be important for Washington to win this ball game and let people know that the Commanders aren't a slouch following a week two bad loss at the Detroit Lions. So that's going to wrap up today's podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, review, share, subscribe, comment. Always appreciate your guys' commentary on Twitter. Back and forth with me as we head in to week three. You can follow me on Twitter if you don't already at underscore Ryan Fowler. All my written work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. I will have a podcast out for you guys early Monday afternoon recapping Washington, Philadelphia, week three at FedEx Field. So enjoy your weekend, everybody. Enjoy football. We have some college football tonight. On Thursday night, we've got some tomorrow, and of course, this full Saturday slate, lots of draft prospects to keep your eyes on as you move in to the middle months of the fall in the spring, and April's going to be here sooner than later, and we're going to turn our eyes to the draft here in just a couple of months, as well as focusing 
on the middle and later part of Washington season and hopefully a commander's playoff run as we move down the line and towards the new year. So as always, thank you guys for tuning in. I will talk to you on Monday. I am Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.